Hey, welcome to Tangible Takeaways, episode 111. There you go. I'm Jackson, and today I'm going to talk about how when it comes to pain, we can respond uh, as victims, as runners, or we can be resolved. And I'm Todd, and I'm going to talk today about the incredible importance of having believers in our lives when we're suffering mm. to remind us of what we forget. All that and more on this episode of Tangible Takeaways. Thanks for being on. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're here for a, a back-to-back. Yeah, here. Yeah, which is um, is fun, and it's also good when it doesn't happen. So it's cool to have an opportunity to be back. Yeah, and uh, you know we gotta lean shorter this time because we did almost <laughs> three back-to-back basically exactly. last time. Yeah, we so, have got to be more succinct. Yeah, in all fairness, we were taking on a lot of questions, a lot of topics, but yeah. um, and uh, and also I'll say too. Um, really appreciated the level of engagement from our church family, both in asking questions and also in their responses, um, either asking further questions, um, or, uh, just saying that it's helpful or whatever, man, just appreciate that level of engagement. Um, cause obviously that's what this is here for us to be a helpful tool. Um, good conversation starter, even when people go back into their families and oikos and things like that so um that was encouraging i think to us to see that it was that was great all the way around appreciated people saying hey this is on my mind or you didn't get to say that and the message helped me with that and yeah hopefully we got to as many of those as we could i know we didn't get to everyone but you grouped them together well yeah so yeah no it's good and we were talking off camera here right before we got started probably when you think about um like passages that flow together in scripture, probably one of the worst one-two punches for an American Christian to be reading in what we've covered in the last two weeks of um, First Peter. And I don't know that it would really be that way in other cultural contexts, but it's certainly for us. Yeah, because, maybe, maybe define the word worst. What do you mean when you say that? Uh, just that it gets at um, some really loaded topics for yeah. us, right? We're, we've talked about on this, uh, on the last episode, how we're a country born out of rebellion. So the idea of submitting to governing authorities, and people have even continued to exp- expound in the comments that kind of role, we have a unique role as citizens in America in our government that not a lot of other people experience. And so there's that. a weird tension there that we have to get into of like, Yes, I am called to be involved in the electing of officials and to do my civic duty and all of those things. But at the same time, when those laws come into effect or those officials make decisions, I'm also called to support them and get up under it. You know, yeah, and and maybe that's the, the one of the pieces that we missed. Again, you would want to add to but, an hour and fifteen yeah. and more than we did, <clears throat> but but if in we could sense, have gotten an extra ten yeah. minutes in there, <laughs> but in a sense, addressing the issue, what is a good citizen? Yeah, because you would obviously say a good citizen gets up under the governing authorities yep. in obedience to what the laws of the land are. But you would also say is civically involved yeah. in things like you just noted, electing officials and even being able to say, hey, I, I think that law or that decision is out of bounds. 
can I talk to a representative about? I mean, so this is the things we didn't get into yeah. that are more of that discussion, which I appreciate. They're very unique to us yeah. as American Christians because you've got that kind of just different government style. That totally. And it's the, it's the fully orbed where we were taking maybe one slice of that pie or two slices. We didn't get to all eight. Yeah. So, I mean, it's very fair that people would be processing those pieces. They're very related. Yeah, so you've got that. That's a really challenging, loaded <clears throat> topic. And then Peter just casually flows directly <laughs> into Slaves Obey Your Masters, yeah. which you talk about the most loaded topic in our nation's history. Yeah. The biggest black mark or stain on our record, things that we look at and say, oh, like it's just hard to reconcile and feel good about, you know? Yeah, though it wasn't the only issue. It's the primary reason why our country split in half yeah. through the Civil War. So, I mean, you're right. Yeah. It not only is a really horrible part of our story, but it was so divisive because not everybody saw it for what it was. Yeah. So that's another part of that thing too, is that it's not necessarily purely as though I wish everyone would say that was a horrible yeah. way that we lived as a country. Very, again, we talked about this last week, very driven by money. Yeah. How am I going to get all the crops taken care of if I don't have mm. people, slaves, property to get them harvested and whatever. So very financially, again, driven conversation that we also have to be honest with as Americans, it matters a ton to us. Yeah. Where other nations of the world doesn't mean they don't care about money, they don't have it. And so they, they deal. It's just you normal. Know? So. Yeah. And, and so I think coming to a place that we can un, unpackage or unburden ourselves with some of the just baggage that we're bringing into both of those topics mm -hmm. and be able to say, okay, but honestly though, what is Peter talking about? What are these people going through? What are they understanding? Yeah. How is their experience of government or slavery the same as or different from ours so that we can understand how this applies to us now today? Um, so I, I just appreciate you diving into so head on into both of those topics because there's been a lot to unpack there and a lot of, you know, tension filled um, waters to wade into. And I think one of the, you know, statements that you said this weekend that really stood out to me that is totally true, but could have initially sounded very untrue to some people in the audience is that there's no specific verse that says slavery is all the time, everywhere, at all times, bad and wrong. Um, though we very much so believe that that's not yeah. God's design or intent. Um, there's not that verse. And so that we kind of live in this. And even as Peter and Paul both write to slaves, there's not this abolitionist mindset, yeah. but like do it well, like do that role well, um, which is a really kind of like I, I'm, I'd imagine for our, we've got a beautiful multi-ethnic congregation and that comment lands differently with sure. each person. And, and so, um, yeah, walk us through a little bit of that um, kind of tension. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think obviously like you've just done a good job of giving the big overview. That is the tension. I think, um, you know, there's some great books. Uh, I remember a season friends of mine, like I was already out of college, but I would hear about maybe uh, people in our church who are going to a Christian college. There's a hermeneutical book um, we're both familiar with that basically says, here's all the elephants. Let's talk about this. What do you do about 
in today's world, understanding a biblical ethic for homosexuality, slavery. I can't remember what the, there's three or four that are there. Genocide, I think. Yeah, genocide, talking about Mm -hmm. the Old Testament, going to the promised land. And so, and I appreciate that on the one hand. I I don't remember that I know much of anything about the book, but I love the title. What does God say about or what about? Because those are the things that we're going to be foolish to try to avoid. We shouldn't. This is the beautiful thing, right? All truth is God's truth. Not only the truth that's in Scripture, but the truth of everything about our world. So we don't ever need to be in the position of how to dodge things that are difficult because we keep coming back to they can still be difficult but number one god has things to say and two even if what he has to say and how i interpret that leaves me not feeling completely resolved it doesn't mean that i go well then god must not be real and none of this it's Mm -hmm. all bogus no there's so many things in the mind of god that i don't understand and i need to be like honest about those and bring those forward and then be able to go and then how much do i trust him Hmm. with those and i just i think this issue like you said addressing slaves how to be good slaves you and i would read that passage and we'd say slaves let's figure out how you cannot be slaves anymore yeah right that's that's what the go-to and by the way this is the beautiful thing we have people heroes in our time those that were in our own country, I would think that we would look to the attitudes and the actions of someone like an Abraham Lincoln, who would say, this is morally wrong against God's design. People are not property, and it will be worth dividing the country over if you aren't going to get in line. Mm. We have heroes in England, William Wilberforce, who had every ability to keep climbing the political ladder, and every aspiration was pointing that way. But he sacrificed his career, sacrificed his own health to take on the abolitionist movement and to see slavery end in England before it even did in the United States. Yeah. So these are, and, and both devout Christians, uh, Wilberforce, great books and movies even about his faith. So I just love that. And so, and we champion them for right reason. Yeah. But then we wonder, well, why didn't the Bible just say that? Yeah. Right. And I would say my my shortest answer to that is maybe this, first century, New Testament written in that time, the, the explanation that sits the best with me that I've both heard and then tried to wrestle through is that if Jesus's primary motivation was to come and free slaves, then on the one hand, we would say to a degree that is very noble, and that was good, and he would have definitely led a rebellion because like we've said, so many in the Roman world, not just one ethnicity, so many people. I should have done some more research, but literally on the high percentage of the world were slaves in the first century. That would have absolutely upset the fruit basket, and that's not bad. We have no problem upsetting wrong things, right? Yeah. But, um, but that, that would have been the goal. Don't know if that would have been achieved or not, but watch, that would have been the end. Yeah that in the first century, an uprising against slavery would have been accomplished. What did Jesus come for? He came for something so greater beyond anybody's current earthly challenges, including those that were challenged in that era. Women and children were also considered often be property. Uh, issues of related to Uh, what other cultural challenges that the first century faced, deep racism was going on. 
what did the church do? Valued women and children, valued. There is no Hebrew or um, Greek or Scythian slave free. The New Testament brought these great senses of valuing to people. Gentiles, now Ephesians 3, are included. Romans 11, grafted into the, this branch, and they are, they are made available to be right with God. It's not limited to the Jews. Yeah. All these things were true, and yet, not again just to bring value to value, to bring a way to be saved mm. and to be ultimately right with a Creator. Jesus made it clear, my purpose, why I've come, to seek and save the lost. Mm. There are all kinds of realities that are outside of God's design that ultimately, and you could say, is a great challenge for the church to get to continue to live out the mission of Christ, but never to the the failure to bring up this great news of what actually will make every slave free, mm. what makes every child valuable, what makes every woman know her true value as being an image bearer of God. So that's the tension I rest in, hmm. is that Jesus's main mission, and even what he left the church to do, could have probably been side, moved over here and become this great social cause, but maybe would have failed to bring the salvation to the nations hmm. that he left them to hmm. bring. Yeah, it's, I, I love what you're saying, because it's making me think, about how, um, in the same way, I think there is a um, a very healthy um, feeling in a younger generation right now that like we need to pick up that mantle again with this racial reconciliation mm. and own that and stuff like that, which is beautiful, right? And uh, and a great movement, um, and and fun to see that passion just infused again in younger generations. Um, but it is that uh, we can't be guilty of the kind of the same thing that the ancient Jews were when Jesus showed up of mixing the messages and mixing his purposes um, because there is coming a time where Jesus is going to establish a literal earthly kingdom where every slave will be freed, where every diseased person will be healed like there is coming a time that this is going to happen but just like the ancient jews thought he was coming to overthrow rome and establish a new kingdom at that very time that he showed up and so it was like this guy can't be it because he died he didn't kill caesar he died at, at the hands of caesar's minions like there's no way this guy is going to revolt against rome that wasn't what he was there for. Uh, he could have easily, right, yeah. overthrown Rome, but that wasn't what he was there for. He was there to establish a spiritual kingdom, and we live in that now but not yet tension um, where uh, theoretically in the first century, right, one could be enslaved yet freer than they've ever been mm -hmm. because they are currently a son or daughter, prince or princess of the King Almighty, um, heirs in his household though right now experiencing yeah. slavery in their current. And so a lot of the New Testament seems to be speaking to people who are in difficult situations. And it isn't this health and wealth and everything's going to be easy and everything's going to be smooth. It's kind of the exact opposite here in First Peter. It's a lot about suffering. It's yeah. a lot about how do you do that stuff well, knowing what we've already established earlier in the book, who you are 
whose you are. You belong to God. You're a child of the king. So that means that you have a unique ability to endure things that would be just completely demoralizing apart from knowing those first two things. Yeah, no, that's great. A really good way to synthesize all that. And and by the way, as you were sharing, I was thinking, you know, they're actually, and I wish I made, would have at least made this brief comment on the weekend, when we would say there might not be the, thus saith the Lord, slavery at all times is always wrong. Paul does write to Philemon. It's this beautiful little book, one chapter. It's very personal because Philemon is a believer uh, I want to say at the Church of Ephesus, but I think I might be getting that wrong. But wherever he was from, yeah. he was one of those same places that, I think Colossae, uh-huh. he's a believer at Colossae. And, um, and what does Paul say? His slave ran away, so meaning he was still property of Philemon. And Paul writes back, would you receive him back as he truly is, not property, but your brother in Christ. Because Onesimus had come to faith, who wasn't necessarily a believer, but of all coincidences, runs into Paul in Rome. And as a result, comes to Christ, and now he's in this tension. The obedient thing would do, which by the way, the very letter bearing his name, Onesimus, bearing Philemon's name, Onesimus brought back to Philemon. Yeah. So it's like, can you imagine? Go back read this and, and read this first. Yeah, before you do anything to yeah. me. And uh, that's wild in of itself. So I do think I don't want to give the perspective either that there wasn't back to I think the vein of William Wilberforce and Lincoln, that we know. Well, and that's the beauty of systematic theology, right? We can take uh, some premises that are built in in the fact that every human being is an image bearer, Mm -hmm. right? And there's this equal standing before God and things like that, like that we can then weave out and say, okay, but an implication of that, no person is property, right? Like we can get there. So even though, and I think from a very solid biblical foundation, we can get there. Yeah. And that's what I love, even the the Philemon letters very specifically related to a slave. And Paul's saying, receive him back as he is. Don't don't get caught up in a human relationship that is a construct in this first century culture. Go back to you're gonna spend forever yeah. with this guy in the kingdom. So see him for who he is. Yeah. And by the way, that reminds me last week you did a good job. We we kind of synthesized three op kind of positions what are the things in culture that happen but don't happen to you mm. but you would go that's not right yeah. but they happen what are the things you're forced to do but then the third category is what are the things that you're not forced to do but other people are they're forced not just allowed that was yeah. the idea is allowed what hap- what you're you commanded. Know, commanded to do and then what are the things that you would feel before God I need to stand up <laughs> Toward, against that injustice towards this person or people group. And I think that's what Paul's doing there. He's advocating, hey, I'm not the guy in slavery, mm-hmm. and I'm and the world is allowed to engage this uh, contractual or property-based personhood, which is so wrong, but I know someone who is a slave owner of a fellow brother of Christ. I'm appealing to him yeah. for a, a higher, bigger purpose than what he's seeing. So I think that third category rings true in our experiences as well. And we'd want to ask the same questions, just like Dr. King did. Hey, this injustice was happening to him personally and to people that he represented. But like we said last week, what about those who were of different nationalities, white, Hispanic, Asian, who came along 
the African-American in the South and said, our culture is allowed but not commanded. I'm personally not commanded to uh, live a certain way, but I'm going to get involved and in this un- injustice. Yeah. And so I think that's a great way of just seeing the world's you know, different um, kind of governing approaches and recognizing any given moment, what one am I relating to? Mm. Like, what is my posture towards this? Yeah. And that's where I think we find that right balance between I can't put all of my hope and all of my life's work into um, abolishing every form of racism because I'm not going to in this life. That's just, that is the reality of sin. That's not this like fatalistic approach. That's the reality of sin in a broken planet. And so it kind of reminds me of that, like, you know, Peter's exchange with the um, beggar and ax, like silver and gold I don't have. There's some stuff I can't do for you in this life what I can do for you, I offer to you. And in that same way, it's like, yeah, we want to fight for these things that aren't right. We want to push up against them, but we're also going to continue to say, but the thing I can offer you right here, right now is true freedom to be a part of a family of God that does not discriminate, that does not, um, hold sin against you. Uh, and that does not, um, look to uh, different ways to divide, be it ethnicity or um, economics or whatever, you fill in the blank, is not divided up, but counts everyone as equal and valuable, all co-heirs with Christ. That is a, we can't undersell how valuable that message is. That is that is greater than, more imperishable than silver and gold. Yeah. And so we just don't want to mix our messages. Good to be advocates, good to fight and push up against injustice, but also we can't mix our messages. We know the true freedom that we can offer is this now, but not yet freedom. Yeah. Amen. Um, I, I thought uh, another good thing from this weekend, uh, that is so, so challenging for us is this tug of war element of fairness, mm-hmm. right? What if I feel like my government's not being fair? What if I feel like my boss isn't being fair? And that fairness is never given as a caveat in either of these. Um, And similarly, we'll look at um, marriage this upcoming Mm -hmm. weekend and fairness isn't given as a caveat there either. And so how do we, as people who are so oriented towards wanting what's fair, how do we, how do we let that go? Um, Because I'm sure there's some people that might've even been listening to that that would say, you know what? I recognize that the Bible is not offering a caveat of like, but if they're not fair, you can get out on this. But also like, it's like a compulsion. I don't know how to not fight things that I feel like are unjust and unfair to me. Yeah. We can get past it pretty easily <laughs> with everybody else, but when yeah. it feels when it like happens a to me. personal injustice, I can't get past it. Yeah. So how do I, how do I do that? Yeah, maybe a different few different layers to it. One, you know, one of the options we, we said probably the best application, none of us were slaves that were listening to this this weekend. So the best application might be in the workplace. We've alluded to that. One of the things that a slave didn't have the option of, again, sadly being the property of another human being, is that as an employee, I don't have to work for you. Um, now, I know some people feel like but you don't understand, or it's always the the extra caveat. My pension is locked up in this firm. My Mm -hmm. future is based on being able to stay here longer, fill in the blank, tons of good reasons why leaving a job. My job was great until you became my boss. I want that back, you know, that I get it. 
all kinds of reasons. But at the end of the day, there may be a time when I say it is actually not good for my mental health. It is not good for the bitterness that continues to just eat at me. It is maybe not good for what that means in the way it's rippling out in my family. Mm -hmm. I bring all that home. I need to find a different job. Yeah, I might have to move. I fill in the blank. I think sometimes we feel like there's only one answer to a problem. Mm. And I've really appreciated watching the leadership of HDC throughout the last 21 years that I've been a part of it, now 22, is watching guys like Tom and Jack go, there's different ways to skin the cat. Mm. And if you're a cat lover, I'm really sorry. But, but there's different ways to deal with something, and they don't have to be there's only one solution. Very rarely in life is there only one solution. So I'd put that out there first, mm. that it doesn't mean you have to maintain, stay in that situation, no matter how much you'd like to, it might be the greater good to not to, yeah. right? I think another play, piece that plays into it though, really at the bigger, biggest level, because also even changing jobs might take months to do, so what do you do in the meantime? It really comes back to that that real quick phrase, and again, how beautiful, talking about the Son of God, it was in reference to Jesus, that he entrusted himself mm. to him who judges justly. Mm. There is a degree of which, going back to injustices, I'm not going to right every wrong in other people's lives or in my own. So at some level, I think just even out of sanity, <laughs> I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to trust, I, again, no one has to do anything. This is where I've come to. I'm gonna have to trust that whatever unfairness or injustice that I feel like I'm experiencing, God is completely aware. God is actually, because he's so purposeful, he's gonna use this somehow mm. for good in my life or the lives of those around me. I don't get it, but I'm gonna, that's a trust, right? Trust is, the evidence of things not seen. I'm hope I'm putting my trust in that. Yeah. And then thirdly, I'm also being mindful, not only does God see, God will call into account hmm. the person who is doing this to me. Now, again, I can be full of rage and vengeance and like, yeah. I can also go, hmm, do I want to think about that related to the ways I've been unjust? Hmm and I've been unfair to others. Mm -hmm. God's gonna call that into account. Praise God, the blood of Jesus covers my sin. I don't think that through the lens of that great white throne judgment, I'm going to experience that. Mm -hmm. We've talked about as a believer though, there still is an evaluation of my life, and that's going to be for whatever it is, seen and known. But the reality is, is I have to, I have to come back to as fallen and broken as the person is who's over me, is as fallen and broken as I am as a human being as well, meaning we share a, a common sinful DNA. And I have to be honest and look back, I have wronged people. Mm. I was thinking about this this weekend as I was preparing. I have worked under some people that I felt were unfair. I'm not sure I'd go all the way to say unjust, but they were unfair in the way that they maybe saw my future or the way they treated me for a present situation. That's part of the human experience, right? But I've also thought, but Todd, I was just rehearsing since the other day with someone else. I was horrible to an intern that I had up in Oregon and mm. treated him completely unfairly. Mm. That, that's me. 
Like I have to own that. I've not just been on the receiving end. And I doubt anyone who heard this weekend's message, anyone who's watching this today would say, I've only ever been on the receiving end of unfairness and injustice. Yeah. We have, we have done that too. So I have to, number one, process my own culpability. But then number two, even in the exact situation, if I might say, I don't think this is on me. Okay, God sees. God's going to deal. Yeah. And I can trust him with that. Yeah. I, I do think there's something huge to be said to reminding ourselves often about what fair is. Because if you really want to get ticky-tacky about what's fair, what's fair is you and I spend eternity apart from God forever and ever yeah. and are never restored in right relationship to him. Our rights are not cared for or valued and we spend eternity in punishment and pain, right? Like that's what's fair. Yeah. That's the um, fair thing. And so everything else is grace. And um, I, I think reframing it continually that way for us is helpful because whether we intend to or not, we can become really forgetful yeah. about the things that we've done. And every time we experience injustice or really whether it's injustice towards us or we really even see anybody do anything wrong, it is the legalist and the self-righteousness in us that compares the best parts of ourselves mm. to the worst parts of those people. Amen. So it's easy when I am in that mode to think I kill it every day and everybody else sucks. Mm. They're horrible to me. They treat me badly. And to become this like self-righteous martyr, that's like, God, my life is so hard and everybody treats me so poorly. When I don't come back and recenter on, but what is fair? What is fair is not what God has shown me. He's yeah. shown me so much grace and compassion and kindness. And if I remind myself of that often, I won't become like that unforgiving servant who gets his debt forgiven and then goes and beats up the other guy for five bucks. Yeah. I don't want to be that guy. And we can all slip into becoming that guy really easily if we don't continually remind ourselves of how great our debt was that has been forgiven. And um, yeah, I, I think there's something powerful about that. I also have been thinking through, um, you know, the hardest one for me for the longest time has been thinking through believers who hurt me because I know that the blood of Jesus covers what they did to me. Sure. And that's frustrating yeah. when you start thinking about it. <laughs> when are they going to get there? Yeah. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, hold on though. Cause that hurt. Right. Mm. And I've just been starting to think about how sweet and beautiful not just towards me, but me towards others as well, the apologies are going to be in heaven. Mm. I think the fullest, richest apology you've ever received from somebody so satisfying and like, yeah, that's exactly what I was feeling and exactly how I was hurt. Because I think those are some of the hardest hurts. It's one thing to be hurt by the world and say, but they're all going to hell. You know, like at, at some extent, they're going to get theirs if they're not saved. But it's when I'm hurt by the people who claim to love God and I know are going to have their eternity figured out and be okay, that can be a tough pill to swallow. But I think realizing there's going to be some really beautiful, sincere apologies that I get to offer to people that I've hurt, but will also be offered to me. Mm -hmm. And that's actually, that's a, been a really cool thought for me to think about. Like yeah. that's 
that's still incredibly satisfying. Yeah. You know? No, that's that's really cool to process. I would say, by the way, as you were sharing, this is actually the storyline of the book of Jonah. Mm. Because why does Jonah not want to share not even the good news? He's sharing about God gonna deal with these people in Nineveh and the fact that even more so they repent. He's like, they're not gonna get theirs. Yeah. Right, that's his whole what thing. What are we going to do now? That's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. I wanted to let them face all the wrath of God that they rightly deserve because they the Assyrians were horrible. Yeah. He was from the northern kingdom. We read other places in the Old Testament how horrible they were and ultimately would defeat the northern kingdom. So he had a lot of like baggage and a lot of reason. He doesn't just, I don't think come off like a, he's a Gentile hater. Yeah. I think he hates these people for what they've probably done to him and his family, definitely to his people. And so that's the motivation. Yeah. If I tell them about God's judgment, I don't want him to it relent. gives them a chance to repent. He relents, they don't get theirs. Yeah. So this is this whole fact. And again, what did he forget? God, it wasn't fair you ever revealed yourself to me. Yeah. That was pure grace. But I've pushed that aside and said, no, I deserve, and therefore they deserve. Mm. I deserve to be known and loved by God. They deserve his judgment. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'm also just thinking about how difficult it is for us as Christ followers to think about, you had a great line this weekend, that following Christ naturally means following him mm. in his suffering. I think that's a really hard, we talked about probably lots of times already in this series, how hard a concept that is to get our teeth in, because this sounds even probably crazy to some to say of how easy it is to be a Christian in our country. It's still, for all the things that we complain and whine and say, oh, but this and that and this, it's getting really tough, it's still the easiest country to be a Christian in. I don't think there's really a lot of contest there for another one that would be taking our place. It's still the easiest place to be a Christian. And so it's really hard to think about, and it almost might even introduce some layers of insecurity for people of like, wow, am I following Jesus Mm. if I'm not suffering? And so what do we make of that as American Christians that following Jesus includes sharing in his sufferings. Yeah. I this is the Bible I received from your mom when we were dating. I was a sophomore in high school. So this goes back. And I've written quotes in it. It makes me think of uh, a quote that I probably am trying to I'll have to I'll have to find it and maybe I won't in time to be able to share it. But um what I love about the quote and it made me think this way because I wondered the same thing. Yeah. God if you say that suffering is required, maybe that's a just succinct way to say it. Yeah. I don't know how much I've suffered. What does that mean? Yeah. And, and does do that, I need to move somewhere? Or, yeah. Do I know? need to almost bring suffering on me or, or what is it? But um, I'm not going to find the quote, but it basically says this. It's doubtful that God is going to use someone that he hasn't first caused to suffer greatly. Mm. That's the gist of mm. it. That's not totally right. Um, it's doubtful that God isn't going to use someone greatly. That's what it is, who he hasn't first caused to suffer mm. greatly. And so I read quotes like that. I'm taking what you're saying about, yeah, I think that's true. This pattern, example of suffering that we are to walk in it is there. So 
So in other places and spaces where people are following Jesus, they didn't have to aspire to that at all. It was right. They knew what they were doing going into it. I'm going to be cut off from my family. I'm going to be cut off from parts of the culture. I'm going to probably suffer financially. I'm going to be limited now to this community. That was all in the deal of following Jesus. We don't have any contacts for that at all. Mm-hmm. But I think what it brings to bear is God completely sovereign over them being in that most likely Middle Eastern country, coming to faith, and all those realities. As much as he's sovereign, that you and I are here in Southern California without those same problems. Mm. And I'm going to say yes. I'm also going to say when it comes to suffering, just give it time. Mm. (laughs) It's going to come, you know. I used to think of, um, I was reflecting back, uh, something about being in the wrong place at the wrong time related to pain. I can't remember why that came up recently. But as I was processing that, I was thinking when I really began to get my head around what the idea of trial's purpose was, that it is that we would grow in our perseverance, and perseverance would cause us to become mature. There is mm. very clear in James 1 a process and a, and a purpose that pain produces, at least is meant to, right? Yeah. And I remember you were up four months old. We move up to Oregon and it was a, a, a very challenging move just to get up there. We had a house we just bought in a few months before that we couldn't figure out what to do with it. So last minute rented it to people who did not take good care of it. We get up there and we were kind of told when we were interviewing, hey, I'll help build you a house. And we get up there and we he tells us, oh, I didn't realize you weren't selling a house. I can't help you. So our first you know year plus was very nomadic, very frustrating yeah, and not what we expected at all. And that's when James 1 came to light. Mm. But I'll tell you, life has been much harder than what we experienced in that move to Oregon 26 years ago. Yeah. And my point is, is that the thing you're facing now that's difficult, there's a hard truth, but it is true. God is using to prepare you for more difficult challenges he's going to bring. Mm. I now see that as grace. Mm. Rather than just backing up the dump truck <laughs> down here, he's doing things here to prepare you yeah. To, these have all challenged your faith, caused you to grow, caused you to trust Jesus more, and you're actually more ready. I'm not mm. saying ready, but you're more ready to handle this kind of challenge and trial than you ever would have been back here. Yeah. So don't worry. Suffering's coming. Yeah. And the reality is, is you don't need to run ahead to it. God in his sovereignty will bring it when he's ready to have you go through it, but you will. Jesus said in this life, you know, you will have trials, you will have tribulation. But again, find rest, find comfort in the fact I've overcome the world. Mm. You'll have trouble. That's exactly yeah. right. So anyways, that's how I navigate that at this point. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, um, you, as you're talking about that, I'm just thinking, man, the most, whoever would pop into somebody's head is the most mature Christ follower they know or can think of will be someone who has gone through immense amounts of suffering. And the reason that they stick out to you as somebody who's so mature as a Christ follower is because you look at them and you say, nothing can shake them. Nothing can shake them. And that's because of the suffering that they've gone through. All the things they've been through. It's continued to codify just how real and how serious 
their relationship to Jesus is. Yeah. Time, it, you know, it proves the genuineness of your faith, right? Yeah. That's straight out of First Peter. Yeah. And so that whole idea, man, if as we are going to become more mature, we're going to suffer more. That's it's an, just it's an axiom. Yeah, it's a great way to say they like, go together. You cannot achieve the one and avoid the other. Yeah, it's part of the plan. And you look at Paul and the amount of stuff that Paul went through, and by the end of Paul's life. He, you know, he's got those just beautiful prison epistles, rejoice again, I say rejoice yeah. in Philippians and this like unshakableness to Paul's spirit that just nothing was going to really bog him down or freak him out. But that came through the beatings and the whippings and the shipwrecks and that, you know, all the things that he had gone through. And so, um, I, I just think that's a encouraging thing for us of like, Hey, it, whatever we're going through might hurt right now, might be hard right now. But each time I'm becoming more and more of an unshakable person in Christ. And that's very valuable. Um, We got a question in uh, that I was just wondering if you could uh, touch on briefly before we end. Um, I just appreciated the heart here and saw how it really connected well uh, in a just different way to the message. But how could I explain or encourage some explain to someone or encourage someone who has stepped away from God and the church due to their suffering? Yeah. So kind of, excuse me, feel hurt by God or hurt by his people. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I, I will say as one, I've shared before about some of the challenges of where I led before I came back to HDC and experienced um, some real significant pain and suffering from God's people. Yeah, um, there I would tell our church family, not with great no specifics, but I would just say there is something even more painful when you experience suffering at the hands of other believers than uh, from the hands of someone who is not. Because from someone who's not, you've said it already, part of it is just there's an, there's not a redeemed spirit that is walking with God that knows this is right, this is wrong, and I shouldn't do that towards someone. Doesn't mean they don't have a moral compass, but it just means they don't have the spirit of they God living in better. them. Yeah. And therefore you get that. And sometimes even if you suffer, back to Acts 5, if you suffer for following Jesus, if that's even where the, that is coming through persecution, it kind of emboldens you. It gives you courage. Like we must be doing something right. Yeah. Like, okay, we're going to keep trusting God. So that's one thing. But when you get friendly fire, mm. right, that, that hurts at a whole new level, partly because you go, you know better. Yeah. You have the same Bible I do. Yeah. If you want me to sit down and open and show you chapter and verse, which I did numerous times, how are you seeing this differently than I am? Like, come on. Yeah. And then on top of that, believing they do have the spirit of God that resides in them. How are you not paying attention to the spirit's leading based on what you're doing or saying? Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. So number one, I want to empathize for sure with the statement and the question. But back to my own story, not, not to say it, this it works this way for everyone, or even that my story is the quintessential example. But I will say after surviving those kinds of wounds and coming to a point, it took weeks to get here, not days, which I wish it would have been much shorter, but truly believing, God, you must be up to something. Mm. I sure can't. I didn't believe it at first. Like, there's no good thing that's going to come from this. 
you must be up to something, maybe in my life, maybe in my family's lives, maybe in this church church's lives or those individuals' lives, but I'm going to believe because I've seen it so many times, you're purposeful in pain. And then being able to say, and God, I've, I would use the phrase, I feel like I'm out in the shed, mm. a euphemism for I'm getting a whooping, yeah. right? But then even being able to say, again, just because of just knowing God's faithfulness, later on even saying, God, don't let me out of this season until you get everything done you want to get done. Because mm. I, I don't want to come back because I didn't learn the lesson yeah. I'm supposed to learn. And I would just say God has been not only so good, therapy was a big part of that healing process through that. People like leaders from High Desert Church that I reached out to and asked for help and encouragement and wisdom, God used them, used community, God used my family in significant ways. So I look at all that and I go, not only was God doing that to heal, so brought his people around, and that'd be part of that answer. Even the person asking the question probably has someone in mind. How might God want to use you, mm. if, if at all possible, to be a part of the healing process for this person you're concerned about? But the other part is, I was at HDC for almost a year. So this is way after those events, a year or two later, that I'm processing in real time, oh, this, this, this thing that was just deeply rooted in my heart, I don't think all the Bible study, I don't think all the prayer, I don't think all the sermons, I don't think all the books, I know, had not as of yet changed that. Yeah. But this painful season, I'm now, that was all going on in 2020, 2021, so we're three, four years later, that rooted thing is done. Mm. I don't struggle with it anymore. And yeah. I, I'm not even afraid to say, I'm not trying to be like covert. I got an incredibly inordinate amount of uh, self-esteem when I was asked to preach at other places. Mm. To see my name on you know, speaker Todd Arnett, that just welled up in me in such a way that I just knew that's not God honoring, but I didn't want to admit it, didn't want to talk about it. God was rooting that out. Mm. And I go, praise God. I go to things now and I'm not thinking, why didn't they ask me to speak? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I go to things now and I don't worry about who's gonna who's gonna talk to me to I don't care. Yeah. And I'm rid of that. Praise God. And it frees me to just be so just authentically me wherever I go. And I don't need attention. I don't need focus. I don't need my name there. And I'm so grateful for that. Would yeah. not have said I was grateful for the process and the time, but I'm so grateful for it now. Mm. So anecdotally, right, yeah. it's just my experiences. But those are how I have walked a road similar to the question. And what I would say from an outside perspective, be that person of continued Jesus influence towards someone who's hurt and wounded. And maybe be that person who not only prays for, but asks them, can you yet recognize anything that God is doing even through suffering at the hands of other believers. Mm. And just ask them to, by asking the question, you're making them keep at looking and having reflective moments. It took me two years to see that. So I mean, it's not like you're gonna see it tomorrow necessarily, but I would just encourage them, even in that, God is sovereign. 
God is at work and God is growing us in perseverance and maturity. Yeah. Yeah. It's in those moments of suffering that we forget everything that we know Mm. and you need somebody, you need people around you reminding you of what is true. And I think the three ways that we can really respond to anything painful is to run from it and say, there's nothing good for me in pain, which I see a lot of people who leave the church when they feel hurt by um, church people. A lot of it is just, I'm going to go run. I'm going to go numb myself out and avoid pain at all costs. Um, The other is to become a victim and to say, I am, I am a recipient of church hurt and that's just who I am. And I'll never be the same ever again. And then the third way is to be resolved, which is very much like the example that you're sharing. God, I don't understand. This makes no sense to me, and I don't see it, but I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep trusting that you're good, you're intentional, and you're purposeful. And I think to be a resolved person, we need a lot of reinforcements around us that continue to remind us to be resolved so that we don't run from our pain and just seek to kind of numb it away or become victims from it. Yeah. So, Amen. Well, thank you for the time. Absolutely. I think we clocked a slightly shorter table takeaways <laughs> this time. Everyone will be glad. It's a pretty high bar for the last <laughs> one, though. Uh, that's all we have for this week. I hope it's been a helpful episode. I hope these have been helpful conversations for you and your Oikos. Uh, as always, don't forget to like the video, maybe share it with a friend, and subscribe so that you get future videos as well. That's all we have for this week. We'll catch you guys next week on Tangible Takeaways.